Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, you are listening to the new episode of Talking France, a podcast produced by The Local in which we delve into all things French. This week, we'll start by bringing you the latest talking points from France. That means looking at who is in the news, where in France has made the headlines and what is the one subject on everyone's lips. For this week's big issue, we'll look at the crucial parliamentary elections which take place over the next two weekends. Why do the French seem full of apathy towards the vote, even though they are vital for what happens in France over the next five years? We'll discuss disinheriting children in France, tell you three things to know about the fantastic Fête de la Musique, and bring you up to speed with what lies ahead. To do all this, we'll be joined by the local France's editor, Emma Pearson, journalist Jen Mansfield and our political expert, John Litchfield. I'm your host, Ben McPartland. Hi, Emma. Hi, Jen. Good to have you back with us again for this new episode. Everything OK with you guys? It's great. Yeah, doing good. OK, let's start with the big issue that people are talking about in France this week. Over to you, Emma. We're talking about le fric. Or money, in fact. And the reason we're talking about money is the government is handing it out, well, to some people anyway. The Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, she confirmed this week that there will be a chèque alimentaire, a food cheque, which will be going out to low-income households to help with cost-of-living crisis. She didn't actually give too much detail on how this will work, but we do know that it will be going out in September. It will be paid directly into bank accounts and it's going out to households on lower incomes, so we can assume it's going to be means-tested. It sounds Sounds a lot like the Czech Energy, the energy check, which went out to low-income households in 2020 and again in 2021 to help them deal with energy prices. But in spite of the name, this is just money that goes into your bank account. So obviously you can spend it on anything. It's not like vouchers or food stamps or something. These are obviously just for people on lower incomes, but there are some bits of financial aid that go out to everybody, even les gros bonnets or the bigwigs who are on their fat salaries, like you, Ben. Um, <laughs> For the uh, for the fat cats, uh, we've had a fuel rebate, which is still in place, where the government refunds 18 cents per litre on petrol, gasoline or diesel. It's actually quite easy to forget that this is still in place because basically the government just pays the filling stations this 18 cents per litre. So you as a consumer just pay less at the pump than you would have done. So it's kind of not very noticeable, but it's still in place and it'll be in place till the end of July. It certainly isn't noticeable. I filled my car up the other day and it's like it was like 80, 90 euros to fill it up it was painful even on my massive salary uh, it still hurts but like you know you say it's 18 cents back when I pay I you know I don't see a reduction when I'm paid do I? I don't see kind of a reduction on my receipt it's just there that is that because the prices are just lower when I see them at the petrol station it is having an impact but I think it maybe just isn't very notable for consumers because they're still paying quite high petrol prices because of world factors exactly yeah it's still still huge prices it just on in terms of you know petrol prices we, we've seen before in France that it's led to 
kind of uh, social unrest. Is there any signs of that at the moment? There's not a huge one. I mean, certainly the cost of living crisis is like the number one issue for the parliamentary elections, just as it was for the presidential elections. And I mean, this is probably why Elizabeth Bourne has made this announcement now. It's not actually coming out till September, but the announcement has been made in advance of the elections. So I imagine that that's why they've done that. So to sum up, the French government are trying to keep on top of it. They're trying to help out these low-income families, whether it will ease their pain or not. You know, it's still a a real crisis out there. Absolutely. I mean... Inflation in France is actually one of the lowest in Europe by quite a long way. Inflation in France right now is 5.4%. That's compared to a Eurozone average of 7.5%. Over the border in Germany, it's 7.8%. In the UK, it's much higher. This is obviously to do with lots of different things. Partly the nuclear sector means that France is less hit by gas shocks. But it is these government help programmes, the gas price shield, which we've already talked about. All of these kind of things are sort of helping householders. So it is... In France, we're seeing less of these price rises, but we are still seeing some price rises and people on lower incomes are hurting. Indeed, the rate of inflation in France was one thing that Macron was pushing heavily during his presidential campaign compared to other countries yet it's still quite high compared to what it used to be. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's fair to say that the French electorate will not thank him for it, that he's pretty much getting no credit for this whatsoever. Thank you, Emma. That's the big issue people are talking about in France this week. Let's talk about who is in the news in France this week. Jen, someone, a blast from the past, we could say. Yes, definitely a blast from the past. Uh, So everybody in the French press is currently talking about the former president, François Hollande. Uh, You might remember him for getting in trouble on his scooter a few years ago. The former president was actually having an affair with a very beautiful French actress, and the gossip magazine Closer got some pictures of him heading off to uh, their meetups on the back of the scooter. So, eight years later, they've just gotten married, and so that's what people are talking about. In a little quiet ceremony in Corrèze, central France, which is where the former president comes from, you might not know the actress. Her name is Julie Gaillet, but... She's a pretty big name here in France, in the film world especially. Uh, So this would kind of be like Barack Obama marrying Drew Barrymore in the US, something along those lines. Wow. And in England, Boris Johnson and... Oh, God, no. Keira Knightley? Don't even want to think about it. Uh, Maybe like Tony Blair and Rachel Weisz, perhaps. Tony Blair and Rachel Weisz. Okay. Now, they got married in Corrèze. Francois Hollande, back in the news. Uh, What's he up to these days, Emma? He's sort of getting back involved into politics. Uh, You might remember he was officially backing Anne Hidalgo in the presidential race. He's kind of getting a bit involved in the parliamentary elections as well. He's backing his old party, Parti Socialiste, but he's also been quite outspokenly critical about Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the the leader of the Left Alliance, sort of pointing to the the holes in his policy, the contradictions in what he's saying, particularly Mélenchon's policies regarding Europe, which are a sort of... Brexit light in that France would stay in the EU but refuse to obey any rules and he's kind of pointing out that there are some fairly obvious problems with this. So his profile is rising again, I think. Francois Hollande back in the news. I mean, there's a bit of a trend here, no? Uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, the previous president to Hollande, uh, left his wife and kind of hooked up with Carla Bruni, an actress, model, singer. Hollande left his wife, ended up with an actress. Emmanuel Macron, could he go for the (laughs) hat-trick? Well, Hollande was actually never married. This is the first time he's been married. Right. He's had long-term partners before. That's um, true, but this yes. is the first time he's ever been married at the age of 67. So love can happen for anyone, Ben. We think Emmanuel Macron is fairly happy with Brigitte. That's Let's fair. not start any rumours that he's going to go off with Sophie Marceau or anyone like that. And finally, as we do each week, we're going to look at one part of France that is in the news this week. Emma, where are we talking about in France? Uh, we're talking about Limousin, which is one of France's historic regions. It's 
it's down in the sort of central southwest bit of France. Uh, Limoges is the the main town. It used to be one of the sort of administrative regions of France, but it was now merged into the uh, the huge region of Nouvelle-Aquitaine, which apparently is bigger than Scotland. It is. We're talking about it because of the language that people speak there. So. Lots of people in Limousin speak Occitan, which is one of France's southwest regional languages as a second language, in addition to French, obviously. But the way that people speak Occitan in Limousin is quite different to how people speak it in other parts of southwest France, both the accent and the words they actually use. So now some researchers from France's National Research Centre are conducting a study where they've gone to seven villages in Limousin and they've recorded nearly 850 locals all reading the same story. It's the story of Aesop's fable of the wind and the sun. And this is being joined into a giant worldwide sound library of people from all over the world reading this same story in their particular local language or their local dialect. And if the version of Occitan that people speak in Limousin is found to be sufficiently different to the version that people speak elsewhere, it could end up being recognised as one of France's regional languages. Very, very interesting stuff. We'll keep an eye on that. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Jen, for this week's Talking Points. It's only two months since Emmanuel Macron was re-elected President of France for another five years. But the country is set for more elections. This time it's the parliamentary elections, or les élections législatives as they are called in France. The vote is crucial for what happens over the next five years. Yet the French people seem less than enamoured by having to go to the voting booth twice, once again. Let's look at what's at stake, who are some of the key players, and why do French voters just not seem to care? Emma, the first round of voting is on Sunday and the second round is a week later. We've got another two rounds of voting. Can you just tell us what these elections are all about? Okay, yes. So we're electing deputies. That's the local representative for each area who sits in the Assemblée Nationale, the French Parliament. They're roughly equivalent to MPs in the UK or to representatives in the US. There are 577 deputies in total, and that includes 11 of them who represent French people who live overseas, outside of France. So, as you said, like in the presidential elections, we've got two rounds of voting. This time there's only one week between them, and they're held on June the 12th and June the 19th, both Sundays, as French elections always are. And the structure is basically the same as what we saw in the presidential elections. If one candidate wins an outright majority in round one, then that's it. No round two, and we just carry on. If no one gets an outright majority, then there is a second round. But unlike the presidential elections, where it's just the two highest scorers that go through, this time any candidate who gets more than 12% of the vote, and that's 12% of the total registered electorate, not of the people who vote on the day, which is quite important because turnout tends to be quite low here. But anyone who gets more than this 12.5% can go through. So you do have second rounds that have three candidates, and that's what's known as a triangulaire. OK, so in the presidential election, obviously, with the runoff was between two candidates, Le Pen and Macron. This time, so the second round of voting, we could get two, three candidates facing off against each other. And when you say an outright majority, you mean 50%. If someone gets over 50% in the first round, they're in. Absolutely. OK, carry on. Yeah, I mean, the other major difference that we see between this and the presidential elections is that there's no parinage, there's no requirement to get endorsements before you stand. So here we'll be seeing some of the slightly more 
unusual fringe candidates standing, um, including the Parti Animaliste. And if you're in French towns, you might have noticed their election posters, which feature a very cute little fluffy duckling. I don't think the duck actually gets to sit in Parliament, though, unfortunately. I've seen the duck poster everywhere. I mean, I've been persuading everyone to vote for him, but he's not standing. The duck himself is not standing, no. You will not have an animal as your MP if you vote for the Animalist candidate, but you will get someone who really genuinely cares about animals. So that's got to be a good thing, right? I would say so. Now, look, in the presidential election, turnout was lower, but it's kind of it was generally high when we compared it to elections in the US or in the UK. However, parliamentary elections, what's the turnout going to be? They're expecting it to be pretty low. It's usually a lot lower than it is in the presidential elections. The presidential elections are the really high profile ones. And you kind of see that with international media coverage, but in France itself as well. So back in 2017, the turnout was 43% in the second round. Wow, that's low. It is low. And they're kind of expecting that it might be even lower this time, which is kind of another thing that's interesting is that the polls this time, sort of the pollsters' predictions are probably going to be less accurate because it's just harder to do predictions when you've got such a low turnout. So we could be heading for some surprises in this one. Okay, so turnout's going to be in the 40 in terms of percentages. Why are these elections so important? You know, they deserve a much bigger turnout on paper, no? Yeah, they are. They're actually really important. They kind of sound quite boring, I think. Uh, there's Even the name, the legislative, kind of sounds dull. But... Basically, what they do is they decide which party has a majority in the Assemblée Nationale. And in French politics, it's the Assemblée, which is the important house. You know, the Senate, it, it plays a role. It's obviously important, but the key one is the Assemblée Nationale. So obviously, as we all remember, Emmanuel Macron was elected just a few weeks ago. But if he actually wants to pass any kind of meaningful legislation over the next five years, he needs to get it through Parliament. And in order to do that, he needs a majority of MPs who are either in his party or at least allied to him. Now, this time, a lot of the parties have made alliances in advance. So on the left, we have what's called Les NUP. That's an acronym. It stands for Nouvelle Union Populaire, Écologique et Sociale. And that's basically an alliance of the parties of the centre-left, the far-left, the Greens and the Communists. Macron himself has also made an alliance, which is known as Ensemble, together. And that's with his own party, La République en Marche. Horizon, which is the new party created by the former PM, Edouard Philippe, and the other centrist party, Modem. So basically, the election is a fight between these two blocks for control of the parliament. And the most recent polls show that Macron's bloc and the leftist bloc, uh, which is led by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, are pretty much neck and neck. So squeaky bum time, as we say in English. Squeaky bum time, love that phrase. Now, these elections are held, what, two months after the presidential election. That wasn't always the case, was it? No, this is because the length of the parliamentary, of the presidential term, sorry, changed. So it used to be that presidents were elected for seven years and the parliaments were elected for five years. So their electoral cycles were not synced. This has recently changed. So presidents are also now elected for five years. So we have this system where you elect the president and then just like weeks later you get to go back to the polls and elect the parliament again. Some people say that Macron will win simply because it's just incredibly impractical to elect a president and then not give him a mandate. Some people are less confident that the French will feel that way. We'll see. Now, I'm going to put some questions to our political correspondent, John Litchfield, in a moment to find out what he thinks will happen to Macron and Mélenchon in the elections. But first of all, we're going to have a look at who to look out for, some of the characters and personalities and even ministers who are standing for election. Jen, there are a few familiar faces and a few unfamiliar faces, to say the least. Can you just run us through some of the big names who are standing? 
Yes. So like you said, there are a lot of familiar faces, actually 15 out of the 28 members of Elizabeth Warren's cabinet, including herself for the first time, actually, she's running for the first time, are going to be in the races. And actually, it's important to note that President Emmanuel Macron said that he expects ministers who lose their respective parliamentary seats to step down from their current positions. So there's no actual parliamentary requirement to do so, but Macron has stated that that is the expectation for ministers who lose. And on top of that, for these ministers, we can't forget that there could be a parliamentary shakeup after the legislative. But for now, uh, I'm going to take you through some of the important faces. Okay, hold on. So Elizabeth Bourne, the Prime Minister herself, is standing in this election, yet she doesn't actually need to, to continue as PM. I guess it's a question of legitimacy in the eyes of the public. She's not the only one. One of the ministers who is standing is the permanently under fire, Gerald Damana. He's standing in Tourcoing, I think I pronounced that right, in the northeast of France. He could be forced to stand down if he isn't re-elected. That's right, yeah? Yeah, exactly. It's worth noting that where he's standing for election, though, is his electoral stronghold. Although he has been the subject of a lot of scandal recently, and that could be reflected in his campaign results, but he has shown a propensity for being able to weather scandals. Okay, so apart from Damana, who are the other ministers? So next up is uh, to look out for is Damien Abad. He's the Minister for Solidarity and People with Disabilities. And his face has become pretty recognizable these last few weeks after he was accused of sexual assault by two women. So despite the scandal and the fact that over half of French people believe a minister that's accused of rape should stand down, it's still looking like Abad will maintain his seat in parliament. In 2017, he was reelected with a large majority of the vote. But this time, his former party, the Républicains, are running an opposition candidate. So we'll see. OK, Gérald Damanin, Damien Abad, and a former education minister who I saw on television recently got covered in cream was it? Yes, he had, uh, il était aspergé du chantilly. Aspergé de chantilly. Chantilly is quite posh cream, isn't it? Yeah, it's whipped cream. He was sprayed with whipped cream by two teachers who were, let's just say, a bit frustrated with his former policies. The former minister of education, Blanquet, was not very popular when he was leaving office and he was particularly known for denouncing le wokisme. Um, and he's running for parliament in a tight race in Loiret, which is near Orléans. So we're going to see what ends up happening for him on top of his less than stellar approval rating when he left office. He's running in a stronghold for Marine Le Pen's National Rally Party. Okay, now you mentioned Le Pen. What about some of the other characters who were in the presidential election campaign? Le Pen, Zemmour, any of these standing? Yes. So we do have the former candidates Marine Le Pen, who's running in Pas-de-Calais, which is in northwest France, and Éric Zemmour, who's running in Var, which is uh, along the Côte d'Azur, and also Marine Le Pen's sister, who's also running. And so unfortunately, actually, for Éric Zemmour, Le Pen rejected his attempt to build a coalition together. So the two far-right parties are going to be going at it alone this time. Okay, so there's some high-profile candidates who are standing in the election. What about some of the newer faces? Apart from the duck, which we've talked about, who isn't actually standing, there are some other interesting candidates out there. Yes, there are. So aside from the former ministers, we have a really interesting candidate who is a baker. His name is Stéphane Ravaclé, and he's known for having gone on a hunger strike to prevent the deportation of his apprentice, who arrived in France as a young, undocumented Guinean orphan. Ravaclé also made headlines again recently for working to organize a convoy to bring aid to the border between Ukraine and Poland. And now the baker and activist is actually a candidate in the legislative elections. So uh, he's going to be representing the Dupes area, which is near Burgundy, um, and he'll be represented under the leftist coalition Noops. Okay, and any others? Some TV stars? Anyone who we might recognize their faces at least? Yes. So if you watched the reality 
TV show Colanta in 2003, you might recognize Isabelle Siguan. Uh, she's going to be running with Macron's party, and she actually won the show in 2003, so that's pretty interesting. And then there's also a famous rugby player, Maxime Medard, who's going to be running with uh, Les Républicains. So those are two interesting candidates this upcoming election. Interesting, thank you. And in terms of big faces, big names, big politicians who aren't standing, we look no further than Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who wants to be Prime Minister, thinks he's going to be Prime Minister, but he isn't actually standing for election. Emma, Mélenchon says he wants to pass the baton to the next generation, but he's quite happy to be Prime Minister if Newt win a majority. Is that right? Yeah, that does seem to be his position. Yeah, he's in his 70s, so, and he's been in politics for, God, ages, and he had dozens of different jobs, so he's very much a political veteran. Yes, he says his constituency down in uh, Bouches-de-Rhône in Marseille is going to be handed over to the next generation, but he's very much hoping to be Prime Minister. In fact, his election posters basically say Mélenchon Premier Ministre, so that's what he's hoping his new job will be. Now, there's no one better to turn to for questions regarding elections in France than our political expert, John Litchfield, who joins us now on the line from Normandy. John, the turnout in these elections looks likely to be, you know, or it was in 2017, around mid 40%, which suggests that the French don't really care about these elections, but they're really important. Like, what's going on? Why don't they care? And why are they important? Why don't they care? I think it's partly an effect of kind of election fatigue. I mean, you know, this is going to be the third election day in the space of what, six, seven weeks, and then another one the following Sunday. It's a very strange system, the French system, but the French are used to it because it is their system. But I think that the effect of there being so many elections close together does erode people's interest. Interesting enough, I was in Chartres yesterday doing some stunt reporting, and I was with the, the local candidate who happens to be an old friend of my son's, and we were sort of walking down the street trying to get people to talk to us, you know, Apart from the fact that half the people on the street were tourists, the local people just didn't want to talk to him, not because they were anti-centre-right, which is what he is. Uh, They were just anti-politics. You know, older people, the kind of people who do vote, just didn't want to know. They were turning away, angry to even be approached. And, you know, it actually somewhat shocked me, actually, that the rejection of politics had reached that level in France. and, you know, can explain it in lots of different ways and lots of people to blame. But it's strange, as you say, because there are a lot of issues facing the country, a lot of problems facing the country. And that without a majority in Parliament or majority of someone in Parliament, it's going to be very difficult to run the country in the next five years. Well, that takes us on to the bit that, you know, why are they so important? This question, these aren't just elections that can be glossed over. They are hugely important to how the country is run over the next five years. Yeah, there's a kind of misunderstanding, I think, that some foreigners have, and even some French people are confused about it, that France has a presidential system, which it does by convention, and people accept that the president is is the kind of dominant political force, and therefore the presidential elections become the one that focuses all attention, really, politically, which is another reason I think why the parliamentary elections tend to be in those elections' shadow, because they come just afterwards. But without a majority in the National Assembly, presidents can do very little. The actual constitution of the Fifth Republic is not that much different from that of the Fourth Republic, which was parliamentary constitution. Uh, and so if a president has a hostile majority in parliament, he has to choose and has had on three occasions in the past to choose a, a prime minister from the opposition, basically. Now, that's not going to happen, I don't think, this time, but it could well be that Macron ends up with only a 
uh, not a majority, but with the biggest block of seats, which will make it possible, but not easy to run the country in the next five years. And certainly very difficult to get through any of the kind of biggish reforms that he's been talking of, like reforming pension system, hospitals, schools, that kind of thing. So the, the, the effect of this, people's being bored with politics, turning away from politics, is to make politics even more ineffective. Or people became even more bored and turned away from it. So it's, it is a, it's a dangerous situation. I think you're mm. right. So just a, a final word on predictions, John. You know, it's the first round on Sunday. The second round is obviously a week later. What What's the outlook in terms of, you know, whether Macron will get a majority, whether Jean-Luc Mélenchon, you know, has a chance of becoming prime minister? How, how do you see it? No, I don't think Mélenchon has any chance of being prime minister. I don't think that the left has any chance of winning an overall majority. It's not even likely that the left alliance would have the single biggest lock of seats. That would be a big shock, even that. What the polls are now suggesting is that it's on a knife's edge as to whether Macron gets a very narrow overall majority or whether he has to, uh, his government, whether Elizabeth Bourne has to govern with the help of an opposition block of seats, which would probably be Les Républicains, the centre-right, who are likely to get 50 or so seats. There might be one or two independent centre-left seats. So they could probably cobble together a kind of ad hoc governing majority, not necessarily permanently, but on issue by issue. It would be a very unsatisfactory situation. It would make it very difficult to govern easily and very difficult to push through reforms. But I think that the likely outcome is that there's a very narrow majority for Macron's alliance or uh, he has the biggest block of seats and he has to form, or she, Elizabeth Bourne, has to try and form alliances week by week with the with the opposition groups in the Assembly to get, get business through. John, you just made me think of one actual final, final question. You know, the fact that we haven't really heard from Macron since he was elected president in a kind of campaigning sense, you know, why isn't Macron kind of out there campaigning when he needs this majority so much to be able to put through the reforms he wants to do? Well, there's a, there's a sort of institutional and constitutional problem, which is as head of the state, he isn't head of government and he isn't supposed to campaign in a parliamentary election. He's actually doing more of it than constitutionally he's supposed to, you could argue. I mean, he did a big interview with the regional press last week, which clearly was campaign-minded. He he promised this big new conference of unions, bosses, ordinary people selected at random to try and push through new reforms in the new parliamentary term, which was obviously an answer to the people who say that he is too top-down. So he had a problem there, but I think the problem is his campaign, his alliance has not really campaigned very well either. And he doesn't seem to have been a presence in that, even in the background. You know, I have no proof of this. I have a sense that Macron's gone into a bit of a a dip after the presidential election. I think through exhaustion, for whatever, if you consider all that he's been through over the last five years, he just doesn't seem to have been a thinking presence in the country like he has been up till then. And maybe he'll pay price for that not this Sunday but the following Sunday when the actual seats are allocated Very interesting stuff thanks again John for your analysis and don't forget listeners you can read all of John's weekly analysis and opinion articles on the local.fr It's that time of the episode where we try to answer some of the questions sent in by our readers Emma this one has been popping up quite a bit recently we're not sure why But a few people have been asking us, can I disinherit my kids in France? 
I'm not sure why this is suddenly being sent to us. It wasn't me, I must say, but can you shed some light on whether this is possible or not? Yeah, um, not to be fair, most of our readers weren't quite as blunt as, as that and they've been asking what they can do. But for people who own property in France, whether you live here or it's a second home here, inheritance and estate planning is something that we do need to think about. Death comes to us all. And French law is actually quite prescriptive as to who you can leave your estate to. If you have children, you're legally obliged to leave a certain portion of your total estate to them. And it's usually between half and three quarters, depending on how many children you have. So, you know, it's a significant part. And if you're married or in a civil partnership, you're also required to make provision for your partner. So if you make a will that doesn't include your kids for whatever reason, that could actually be ruled inadmissible in France. Now, there's been some high-profile cases in France where this has been a big issue. Yeah, absolutely. Probably the most famous was Johnny Hallyday, the, the singer. He's known as the French Elvis, huge in France, never really made it outside of France. But he died in 2017 and he'd left a will where he tried to bypass his children, leave everything to Letitia, his wife, his fourth wife, in fact. And there was a very lengthy legal battle. And in the end, the courts ruled that his children could not be disinherited, even though he was actually living in the US when he died, not in France. Interesting. So is it different for foreign residents in France? It can be, yeah. Non-French citizens who own property in France, and that's whether you live here or you have a second home here, you do have the option of asking, for your will to be dealt with under the law of your home country, which is usually less prescriptive than France. But you do have to state this in advance in your will in writing. You can add just a codicil in, but it's often a good idea to make a new will in consultation with a notaire who can guide you on French inheritance law, because obviously you don't want your family to be engulfed in legal nightmares after you die. There we have it. So, I mean, I guess we should say that anybody who is looking into making wills and all these kind of questions should seek expert help. Yeah, we're not actually lawyers. So yes, definitely go and see a notaire. Interesting. Thank you, Emma. Each week on Talking France, we aim to shed some light on the things we really associate with France and the French. Last week, we delved into the Académie Française, the so-called guardians of the French language. And this week... It's all about music, or to be precise, le fête de la musique. I'm talking about the annual street party on June the 21st that sees all kind of live bands and DJs take over streets, squares and gardens all across the country. I'll stop there because Jen and Emma, you're going to tell us three things we need to know about the fête de la musique. Well, the first fact is that it happens every year on June 21st. So this year, that's a Tuesday. Basically, it's a big party. It's all over France and towns, cities and villages everywhere. And there are these music events from huge concerts to just regular people playing their instruments in the street and everything in between. Um, and it covers anything from choral to classical music to rock and DJ sets. Uh, last year, I saw a giant brass band at the Belvedere de Belleville in Paris, and that was super cool. And the FET actually, uh, it did go ahead in both 2020 and 2021 during the pandemic, but in a bit of a scaled back form. So this year is super exciting because it's the first proper festival since 2019. Okay. And I agree, you do get a mixed bag. I mean, I remember being out one year and some uh, bar owner literally just took a speaker outside his bar and pressed play on his CD player and blasted out and basically drowned out all the live bands in the street. Hence, huge argument developed between all the different bar owners and bands saying who you know who had the loudest music but you do get some great stuff you do just get you know bars playing loud music 
you know, jumping on the bandwagon. Emma, is it big or not? Yeah, it's absolutely massive. 2019, as Jen mentioned, is kind of the last proper one that we had. The Culture Ministry estimated that 10 million people took part and there were 18,000 different events all across France. This year, it's probably going to be even bigger because we haven't really had it in its proper form in the last two years. Usually the ones that fall on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday are a bit more raucous for obvious reasons, but I I think even though it's Tuesday, this one's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously my experience is, is stuck to Paris only, but you do see the bands setting up, you know, throughout the morning, throughout the day in these, you know, strange places, squares and stuff. And it really is exciting. It's a great day. Who invented it? Whose idea was this? Well, it actually, terribly for patriotic France, it was not a Frenchman. It was an American, in fact. This is a guy called Joel Cohen. He was working as a music producer here in France at French National Radio back in the 70s. And he just came up with this idea of a day full of music to celebrate the summer solstice, June 21st, longest day. He set it up as a small event and it kind of caught on and it spread all around France. In 1982, the culture ministry made it official. So then it became like a real mainstay of French calendar, although it is unfortunately not a public holiday, so we do have to go to work there. And it's also spread abroad. There's um, 120 countries around the world all do some kind of fun music event on June 21st. Now, I'm planning to probably stay in and get an early night. Are you two going out for Fête de la Musique? Yeah, my uh, my local commune does a really good one. That You know, there's a big concert in the uh, in the park, but then, like, loads of just houses open up their courtyards and they have, like, little, uh, little jazz groups, trios, that kind of thing. So I actually stayed out in, uh, in the suburbs last year and I think it was better because we don't get, as you described, the bar owners just mm. putting a speaker outside. Jen? Yeah, I'm definitely planning on just walking around with my friends. I live by République in the Canal, so we're... We're just going to walk and see what's out and about and whether or not that brass band is going to be back this year. So, yeah, I'll definitely be enjoying Fête la Musique. Fantastic. Great stuff. Now it's time to look ahead at what's coming up in France. Jen, what's ahead for us? So June is kind of the month of festivals. There are a lot of different festivals going on across the country. Like in Marseille, you've got the Festival Marsatac, which is a weekend-long electronic festival that's coming up this weekend. Then in Lyon, we have the month-long Nuit de Forbière. And in Paris, or the Ile-de-France region, we have the Festival Saint-Denis, which is a classical music festival that's also going on all month. And then, of course, this weekend is the first round of France's parliamentary elections. Uh, That's this Sunday. And then we've also got pride parades coming up. So Lyon, for example, is having their pride parade this weekend. And then looking a bit further ahead, uh, there's Fête la Musique, which we uh, just spoke about. Uh, That's going to be on Tuesday, June 21st. Um, And then at the end of the month, unfortunately, some bad news for those of us that get the lovely ticket resto, the food vouchers from our employers. Those are going to drop from 38 euro back to the normal 19 euro per meal per day uh, at restaurants. So unfortunately, that 38 euro is going back down to 19 at the end of the month. Just something I was going to ask you two about. We had a, a big strike at Charles de Gaulle Airport this week. Any sign of more strikes ahead in June, July, summer? Emma, what do you think? There's nothing planned and, you know, I don't really do predictions, but I would not be at all surprised if there are strikes this summer because the unions are in a strong position. We've got staff shortages all over the place. The cost of living means they've got a genuine grievance. So maybe, yeah, there probably will be strikes this summer. There tends to be almost every year in June, July that hit air transport pretty hard indeed. But keep an eye on our website and we'll bring you all the news on anything that will affect you travel-wise into France. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Ben. Hope you have a good weekend. And thanks to everybody for listening. 